Somebody's tapping their fingers. Please don't. Uh, aviation's most was, wanted uh, list. Uh, well, I, aviation this, museum curators most wanted list. Yeah. No, I I like this. Now I haven't looked closely enough at this to know what it is. So is there an actually a wish list in this article? This is an article from what? This is Air and Space's website, airandspacemag.com. dot com. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if this is a repeat, if this is a, a reprint of something that was actually in the print magazine, but it, uh, it generally in, is. Yeah, September of this year. Ah, okay. So, uh, Aviation's Most Wanted list, the airplanes and artifacts that museum curators dream of finding. Um, and I don't know, it's kind of ironic that there's a, a photograph of Amelia Earhart as the lead picture here. Well, Are you hoping to yeah, find Amelia kinda, Earhart as a, that's, is she on the list? Well, um, I'm not, you know, that's a good question. They, they lead with a picture of her, of course. Yes. Um, and the last item, I think, is, of course, uh, is indeed uh, Amelia Island. Amelia yeah. So, Amelia Jeb, what are, yeah, what are some of the things that they are wishing for? Um, well, some of them are, are um, kind of esoteric. Uh, for example, um, when the Beatles arrived in the U.S. for the first time, mm-hmm. um, they were on a, a Pan American Boeing 707. The, the airplane is not the at issue here. What is at issue, according to uh, uh, this this particular part of the article, um, is the air stairs that they used that were in all of the photographs of their arrival. And there's a picture, there's an example, example picture of, of uh, the Fab Four, as it were, um, with the Pan Am air stairs in the background, with a, with the blue globe logo and, and yada yada, yeah, uh, and um, um, well, no question that would be a really cool yeah, artifact. Yeah. But I, I, I'm amazed. Does anybody think that they could actually identify those particular stairs, or they just want an example of the model? That's a good question. Um, 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 know, is there a record of what serial number air stair was being used that week? Who knows? Uh, um, who knows? But uh, okay, all right. Well, there you go. That, apparently, apparently it was a vehicle, not not just the stairs. Right. Uh, uh, okay. It, yeah. It, because it was like a pickup pickup truck with the stairs mounted in the back, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I, and what what happened to the vehicle is 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 what this uh, curator is interested. Then in. I think you make a good point. There there well yeah. could be a record of which one was being used that week yeah. or that at that location and and whatnot. So okay, yeah. uh, what else? I'm just kind of scrolling through the list here. Anything else jump out at you? Um, one, Are they really one, hoping to find one of the Doolittle bombers here? Is this a picture? Well, of some of them did ditch. Oh, and so they think it might be at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, okay. Yeah, which right. doesn't, you know, bode well for longevity or preservation. But that's, uh, at least from my reading of the article, and I didn't read it in detail, but that's, that's one uh, one item, they'd, one artifact they'd like to have. And, and one kind of curious, uh, the, the uh, Rod Bingston, a curator at the Pearl Harbor Aviation Museum in Hawaii. And they, they looked at curators in, in museum researchers and whatnot from a, ver- a wide range all over the world uh, of aviation museums um but uh, one one uh uh item this gentleman uh talks about is the the pitot tube 
from the North American F-100 Super Saber. Mm-hmm. Um, the pitot tube's like three feet more um, more long, jutting out from under the, the nose, the jet intake of, of this fighter. And uh, um, said it's a very distinctive pitot tube. It says, one would think that pitot tubes in reasonable condition would be more or less available. Um it does the the one the jet they have on display apparently does not have the accurate proper pitot tube, uh, and uh, apparently there are just none of them around. You know, it's one of these unobtainium things. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, we're talking something that was built in the originally designed probably in the fifties, um, and long since been out of service. But you'd still, you know, you think there'd be a uh, um, an uh, a part number somewhere uh, in a box that would be mm-hmm. this particular item so who knows but there's yeah. a lot of little stuff like that another one when Lindbergh landed uh, the Spirit of St. Louis in Paris um, the airplane and he were both mobbed by, by Parisians yeah. and um, a lot of people apparently uh, cut pieces of the fabric off of the airplane the airplane was rendered unairworthy yeah. Uh, um, in, in this episode, uh, it was later repaired. Of course, uh, one of the pieces of fabric was from the rudder, and it was the Ryan Aircraft Company's logo, which is a winged R. And it's that on the right side of the rudder, that particular piece of fabric was was sliced off. It was it was it's gone. It's missing. Um. The left side of the rudder had the same logo on it, and still exists uh, on the Spirit of St. Louis that's hanging in the uh, in the gallery, apparently. Um, but uh, somewhere in Paris is that missing R. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in Paris. <laughs> no. Which is, well, you know, you know kind, 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 yeah. kind of the start start to a, a a long story at a bar one night. But. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I was just watching a documentary. Uh, uh, this is not about aviation, but this is about the the reality of you can find these old things. Um, I was watching a documentary about uh, the video game history of video games um, the other day, and they were interviewing um, the developer of one particular legendary video game from the really early days of like personal computers, like the Commodore days and things like that. Right. And this, this guy had, had created a video game, which at the time was, was very popular and very well known. Um, And, uh, but it kind of faded as the hardware changed. And and then by bad coincidence, he lost all of his data files from the development of the game. This was a personal independent game developer. It was just a one guy, all right? Um, and in a move from one home to another, a couple of boxes of stuff went missing, and he lost his his running copy, his source code, his note, he lost everything, okay? Wow. Um, and now whatever it's been, at the time of this documentary, it was like, you know, 20 years later, um, and he was just talking about having lost this. When the documentary first went on the air, the word went out to a couple of game, history game, you know, history of gaming um, forums and, and so forth, all right? Um, and uh, um, 
And although they didn't find his source code and that stuff, all right, um, at that point, no one even had a copy of the game, let alone anything else. Um, and uh, people stepped forward, and you know, one person in particular stepped forward and said, I've got a copy of that game. I've got it right here. Um, I'd be glad to give it to you. And they've since since uh, found it and made duplicates, and they're actually running it on an emulator on the Internet now so that you can play this legendary game. Yeah, so uh, the Ryan logo from the... Uh, from the, uh, uh, the Spirit of St. Louis. Spirit of St. Louis could could well turn up, and yeah. uh, um, it's uh, they used to have that problem at the White House. I remember hearing story, reading stories about um, um, visitors touring the White House used to be notorious for for discreetly cutting pieces of the curtains. Uh, huh. And stealing them, um, and I mean, this goes back to like the the age of Abraham Lincoln, kind of that period in history, um, when apparently coming and going in the White House was a much easier thing and much more casual thing. And apparently, it was just notorious that the cur- they were constantly having to replace the curtains, or the curtains were constantly looking tattered because people were st- cut- they'd clip. They'd steal whole curtains, apparently, but they'd also. It was very, very common for people to take a, bring a knife out of their pocket and cut off a piece of the curtain or a piece of carpet or you know things like that. Can so, you imagine getting into the White House with a knife in your pocket today? Yeah, I know exactly, exactly. So, uh, David, you're awful quiet. Do you have any of these things in your garage? No, I've got a couple of Beatles albums from, but. Uh, Nothing like this. Uh, I, yeah, I was looking at that picture and I was thinking, the picture of the Beatles, where did it go? I'm scrolling back to it here. Um, so the air stairs is in the background and that's what they were asking about. Um, the the little uh, Pan Am travel bags that they're holding in their hands yeah. um, are, are pretty damned adorable. And I'm just thinking, and that's the kind of thing that you might actually still be, you know, kind yeah, of Yeah, you could probably get those on eBay. Well, but I mean, I'm talking about that one. The one yeah. right oh, yeah, there that, one, that, yeah. that George Harrison is Hold, no, that's not true. That's wait a minute. Let me see if I can recognize him. I believe that's John Lennon. Um, John John Lennon on the left with the Pan Am bag. Yes, that's who I'm George Harrison at. to the right next to the photographer with a, with a, a different bag. Looks like it, does that also say Pan Am? It's harder to read. But anyways, it, it every now and then, you know, a piece of of personal property like this will appear from a celebrity, you know, because it's been in their closet for or somebody's closet for, you know, and and it'll get donated. So yeah, the Pan Am bag that that would be a bit of of history right there, right? You know, you never oh, know. I see what that is. What Harrison's holding? What what is he holding? Back at the time, back in the early sixties, uh, there was another. A British airline called um, BEA, British European Airways or something like that. Okay. BEA. And Harrison is holding a bag that says the Beatles, spelled B-E-A-T-L-E-S, as it should be. Uh, but, but the but the BEA part of that is, is highlighted in, with a red background. Okay. But yeah, yeah, so it's a, it's a BEA bag as opposed to a Pan Am bag because product placement is not a new concept. And, exactly. Yeah, and I wonder whether these weren't first class spiffs. Oh yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah, which is ironic that that's what of back then would pass for a first class. Because I I think in Lennon's hand, here's two bags. Two yeah. bags, and I, yeah. the second one I'm thinking is like the uh, bag Harrison is holding. I believe yeah. you're right. Yes, I, I believe you're right. right. So, anyways, collectibles. Right. Well, anyways, listeners, if you've got any of these things, um, there are museum curators all over the world who would love to become your friend and. Uh, um, 
Yeah. And only two of those guys are still alive. Yeah, well, that that happens. Um, uh, what else? I, I don't know why. It, so it doesn't say on our list who posted this, but the candy bomber thing feels like a Dave item. Is that you, David? Actually, I put that on there. You did. Well, see, there we go. See, yeah. this this actually. So that's interesting. This will come up in a in a in a in a future meeting as well. Um, but uh, what's the story with the candy bomber? Well, Jeff? the ca- candy bomber is a a pilot. He was he flew for. Uh, the Army, Army Air Force, or, or the Military Air Transport Service, uh, back, um, this would have been in the late 40s, I guess, uh, during the Berlin airlift, when uh, um, Soviet Union basically tried to shut off access to Berlin. Um, the uh, Allies started flying uh, supplies into Tempelhof, the only open airport in Berlin at the time. Only open to them, anyway. That, that's uh, when Berlin was split into zones, right? It's it's yeah, it's still split into zones. It was before the the uh, Berlin Wall went up, but um, the Soviets were being um, Soviet, and um, the city was basically running out of supplies, running out of food, running out of uh, a lot of different things. And this guy, he was a he was a pilot. Uh, he was flying DC fours and DC threes and 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 like that. Um, got to um, handing out candy, throwing candy out of the airplane. And he did it. Uh, he, he'd tie these little parachutes onto the candy. And as they'd come in to land at Tempelhof, he'd th- they'd throw these these uh, candy bars with little parachutes on them out the door. And it became a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you know, it was a, a, a sensation, as it were, in the media of the time. And he came to be called the Candy Bomber. Okay, yeah. And it was, it was you know, Life Magazine, all that kind of, of coverage at the time. Uh, the guy's still alive. He just yeah. turned, He just turned 100 years old. Oh, and okay. there's a petition at the White House, on the White House uh, website, to give him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He's received a lot of other awards over the years for this, and I'm probably sure, you know, I'm sure other things. Um, but he's not received that particular award. And uh, there's a petition um, to give it to him up on the White House website, and it's not a bad way to, you know, you know when you care enough to click, uh, this, this is certainly a good thing to do. That's that sounds great. Yes, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. We're and the really, link the the link will be on our site. And yeah. they need a whole lot more signatures. So they do. They everybody do. dive in. Okay, we'll do. Um, yeah, we're we're really running out of uh, of uh, living World War Two veterans. Um, it's it's. Where you know, I kind of vaguely remember going back what it would be like twenty years ago or so now, when uh, the last of the World War One veterans passed, and uh, yeah, um, and uh, it it isn't going to be much longer. So the so that there is this gentleman, this uh, uh, Colonel Halverson, um, uh, a living World War Two vet. Um, uh, let's recognize him while we can. Um, well, and he got a lot of recognition back uh, on the uh, 50th anniversary of uh, the uh, Berlin airlift uh, a few years ago, and and it, he's still kicking and still deserves to be recognized for mm-hmm. his uh, enlightened approach to his job. Yeah, yeah. 
Sounds good. Sounds good. So, so Jack, what have you been up to? What's what's going on with you <laughs> these days? <laughs> Sometimes you have to take um, matters into your own hands. Um, so, well, why, don't you, why don't you go ahead and respond then? <laughs> no, no, that's right. I want one of you to take but answer the question. So, um, with all that going on, though, I mean, you know, we haven't talked in a while. It's been you know a couple of weeks since we've had some some hiccups. Jack, what have you been up to? <laughs> I've been, I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. Um, it's, uh, it's, well, although here's one notable event that, uh, that will make Jeb, David will probably go, yeah, no big deal. But, um, it was 17 degrees Fahrenheit this here this morning, um, in, in New Hampshire. So, uh, that's uh, a thing right there, uh, which I, you know, this, this sounds self-inflicted to me for some reason. I just can't well, quite put my finger on it. I know it, it is a little self-inflicted. I, I'm predicting. I don't know if this is. Po- I, this is. I don't know if this is uh, 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 proper for the podcast. But I, I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about um, um, how my PS, PTSD is going to affect itself when uh, when the pandemic is over and uh, and 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 no longer tolerating winter. Maybe one of the ways that I kind of, um, you know. Have have a is it thinking out. about your PTSD stressful in and of itself? Uh, well, I don't know. I find it. I think I'm finding it as a way of coping. But I don't, I'm looking forward to losing my mind. Um, no, and I, I uh, all right. Now, see, it sounds like I'm making fun of people with PTSD, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. And uh, and but uh, you know. When when the when the pandemic starts to run down, when we start to get, kind of reach a, there'll be a tipping. We'll we'll pass a tipping point. It'll be different for everybody, but sometime next spring or summer, we'll pass a tipping point where we'll be more like real life, more returned to regular life than we are now. Um, and uh, and, I, and my theory is that everybody's gonna have you know gonna gonna kind of like you know something's gonna change. We're gonna go all oh, we're all gonna like suddenly look up and go holy holy cow! I I could have died. I I need to live my life. In a particular way, because, uh, anyways, um, there we were in 2020. Yeah, I know, right? You know, so uh, um, self-inflicted living in a cold climate is is gonna is is on the list for sure. Um, but uh, you want to live in a colder climate? Yeah, that's really what I want to do, David. No, no, no. <laughs> I want to live in a climate that never gets this cold. Um, so, uh, well, Jeb, but- Jeb, look out! You could have a roommate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'll take that under advisement. Um, <laughs> a, that would that would be a different kind of self-inflicted. Uh, hardship. Yeah, there's 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 all that going on yeah. too. But so, I, I just would suggest to you that you have the power. I have the power to, to change um, this situation. We're also a couple of weeks into uh, the arrival of uh, of Standard Time, um, which makes the makes it get dark earlier which triggers my uh i'm gonna have minor ptsd and i've always had minor sad um and uh so i'm just kind of like trying to I, every year not just a pandemic year every year this time of year i kind of go just need to get through this just need to get through this you know so it's like uh um, doesn't last all year eventually light will come back eventually warm will come back um and uh, so i'm right now in the mode i'm in mode where i'm looking forward to it's just a little over two weeks early december when we have the uh, shortest day of the year and uh i i'm i'm kind of that's a big milestone for me yeah it's it's not that i'm unsympathetic but um you know this is a if you can't raise the bridge lower the river kind of thing okay could be if you, could be. If you can't okay. adjust the daylight and adjust the 
the uh, uh, length of the nights and the temperature and all these kinds of things. Maybe she should go somewhere where that's different. Yes, that's right. Well, you could always come up here because it was in the high 70s yesterday and shall be again today. Kansas has weird weather, it seems to me. I've never ever since since we've been doing this podcast, I have observed that Kansas does not have the weather I would have predicted for Kansas. Um, It's just like um, I remember way back in the earliest episodes of this podcast, I I one time commented about you know being a ignorant northerner. I thought that Kansas was in the south, and and you were going, well, not really. It's like you know, um, and you've set me straight over the years. But the fact that it's seventy now, and, and but that you were talking about uh, uh, freezing uh, last episode, as I recall, and uh, um, and then you get these long, crazy stretches of hundred plus in the summertime, and uh, so yeah, Kansas is. Uh, um, we are in Kansas. Anymore? It's not for Toto? Kansas. It's not for wimps. No matter how many times you click your heels together, yeah, we're, we're not in Dorothy anymore. Exactly. There we go. There we go. Uh, uh, Continue to play around with my iOS programming. Continue to play around with uh, motion graphics. uh, Having fun with that. uh, Learning more and more. Um, Doing more writing. I've you know I mean you guys write every day. Um, It's literally part of your how you pay the rent. Um, I've never really paid the rent as a writer. I've just it's always been an avocation or a part time vocation. Um, But I'm doing more and more writing. I'm I'm kind of enjoying that. And uh, um, some of it may actually become public at some point maybe i'll talk more about that in, in the next in some upcoming episode um but uh, but i will throw out this teaser which is that i'm thinking about reviving the around the field series which is something that i, I used to do for a long time um and uh, for a variety of reasons it kind of faded um and i'm thinking about reviving it in a couple of different ways so more on that later on anyways virtually or um I, uh, I I don't know how much I want to say publicly just yet, um, but uh, don't be uh, that way. I, 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 virtually, I mean, it, it's probably not ink on paper. I mean, if that's your question. Um, oh, yeah, okay. it, it, it's going to be. Do more you need of, an editor? I know a couple of good ones. I, I you know I definitely need an editor. Whether or not I will be able to afford an editor is another question altogether. But uh, anyways, more on that later on. We'll talk more about okay. that. Later. Whether, right. Uh so uh where were we yes virginia there is a 737 max i was trying to come up with uh um the seventh you know it's like all the jokes are gone now right you know we've been saying for two years now yeah you know the the 737 max is still grounded well apparently not or at least close to being not grounded right big news it is not it is not grounded now well it's not yeah. Okay. I don't know what the it's, definition. It's not of flying yet either. Right. Because right. it has. It's it not has, back in service. Because there are a, still a bunch of things that they have to accomplish in order to do this. There's various inspections and. Well, first thing changes. you're going to do is reprogram the sims yep. to match the new configuration, the software, and then they're going to start retraining all the 737 pilots that are going to fly this thing. Uh, Something and, and attention to detail on the special systems on the Max, something that they got fussed at for not doing mm-hmm. when they started sliding Maxes into service three years ago, four years ago. At any rate, the FAA lifted its order. The administrator flew the airplane. Yeah, we talked about that on an episode pro- a couple of right. times ago. He's, yeah. He proclaimed it fine, and now he said, I'll fly my family on it. Uh, so once the 
pipelines reestablished, sims changed, pilots trained, requalified, then they'll start trickling them back into service. And you're looking at a lot of airplanes and a lot of time before they're all back on the line. Yeah. I'll fly my family on it, too. As it happens, we don't have any trips planned for the next, I don't know, 10 years or so. So um, (laughs) uh, um, there's that's unfortunate, of course, but that's the way the the, the, the plans Uh, are. I, I don't know how I'm going to react to this whole thing. I, I've, I, uh, part of me, hmm, yeah. Um, so well, I, re- I read, a, yeah, I read somewhere, and I, yeah. I should have made a note that, that, or maybe it was radio or something, where um, they're going to call it the 737 8. Yeah, we or, did talk about yeah, And I, well, it, there already is a dash 800 and a dash 900 yes. 73 that are not maxes. And you kind of like, well, okay, well, how's that going to work? And yeah. at this time, at, by that point, you're like, you know, I really don't care. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, because there really is a question of whether people are going to be willing to fly on the max um, if yeah. given the choice. And well, so, other carriers, uh, I, I don't know how many, I don't know which ones, are saying they won't exact any change fees for people who don't want to fly on the max. Yeah, but yeah, okay. That, that'll well, last, you know, three months maybe. Yeah, right. It's also unclear how clear. I mean, you know, how they're gonna, you know, how ticket purchasers are going to know what aircraft they're talking about, um, or Read even the fine if, print when you when you buy the ticket. Is I the guess part, is the quick answer because I mean, it really every, is every, fine print. It's not. It's not yeah. in your face. What every, what equipment every time I've made a, a, a air purchased an airline ticket online in the last few years. Somewhere along the way, the type of equipment pops up. Yeah. So it's not it's not rocket science, and it's not something that you have to really go in search of. You just have to be to look for it. Yeah. The average passenger isn't doesn't know doesn't really care uh, what type of airplane it is uh, unless they've got a Boeing fetish or an Airbus fetish or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Write that one down. Yeah. Go ahead, uh, Jeb. David. Go ahead. What they care about is having the seat be there as it's sold to them. Right. What they care about is being able to pick a seat in the exit row, if possible. Uh, what they care about is there being enough peanuts on the flight. <laughs> yeah. I, they, among, well, among they do care about things. those things, but yeah. yeah. Um, it really is going to take a long time, just just from a very – not even talking about regulation or, or you know requirements, just, just the act of getting all these airplanes kind of cleaned up and ready to go is, is going to – I think, Jeb, you're the one that put, uh, called by, – by way of Twitter, you referenced an article um, – yeah, yeah. I think it was um, Air Transport News. Um, no, it was AIN. Um, it was AIN, maybe. Okay, but uh, so uh, um, I didn't read the, the article, but I. I, I but it was talking the, a little bit about yeah. um, about what the steps that Boeing, because they already have a plan, as you can imagine. I mean, it's smart of them um, of what they need to do now to get all these airplanes out of mothballs. And this particular article was apparently talking about the undelivered um, uh, 737 (laughs) Maxes um, that have been sitting on ramps in various places um, in in various levels of, of, you know, I don't want to call it if it's mothballed, but, but, you know, in storage. And it was quite a process that they have to go through um, to, to act if you will, one of these airplanes. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting I, I, to me. Go ahead, Jeb. 
Well, no, you finish. finish. It was interesting to me that the story started out by saying that it's a two-week process, all right? Um, And I'm reading it, and I'm going, well, wait a minute. It's a two-week process for one particular airplane. Um, It's going to take way long. And so I, I read further along in the article... The article said that um, that they will only have half of the queued up 737 Maxes delivered by the end of next year. So by the end of 21, they still will only delivered half of all of the ones that are kind of been piling yeah, up someplace. Yeah, you, you can't you can't make a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yes. Well, here's, here's here's the thing when when the Max got grounded. After the two accidents, uh, Spirit and Boeing, Spirit uh, Aerospace here in Wichita, that builds the entire fuselage for that airplane, and Boeing did not stop production for weeks. For weeks, they continued to produce, and Spirit was producing 737 fuselages, not all of them max, but at a rate of about 50 a month. And about half of those were max airframes, I understand. So right now, Boeing's storage lots have, according to this, 450 newly manufactured 737 MAX jets are in storage, while another 387 of the narrow bodies were in airlines worldwide when it was grounded. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at over 800 airplanes here that all have to be reprogrammed brought up to date checked out cleaned up uh and some of them i imagine will get some new environmental systems just to cope with the current uh uh, right coronavirus pandemic uh when they go back into service yeah and here 150 new ones and 387 others holy cow yeah all, all the above uh where is the demand for all these new air, all these airplanes to be placed uh, yeah. in service? Oh, that's a good question. At this time, there may not be nearly enough demand. Um, you know, I mean, hopefully we're going to, although we're in a really bad place in the pandemic right now, um, there is hopefully real genuine light at the end of the tunnel right now. Um, well, it's not an oncoming train. Yeah, exactly. But uh, um, so, I, you know, some of us are optimistic, hopeful that, uh, you know, next spring and summer things are going to start to that tipping point i alluded to a minute ago will pass um but even then you're right you make a good point joe there's a lot of airplanes a lot of 737 maxes whether they're brand new ones that haven't been delivered yet or ones that were already being flown that are sitting someplace that are just waiting around and uh, okay so you're a you're a carrier you're a let's say you're a domestic u.s based um uh, major air carrier you have some international routes. Um, you've had you've taken it in the shorts with the coronavirus. Yep. You've had to cancel a bunch of flights. You've had to change your schedules all around. Um, you had some maxes um, that you were trying to operate. You you sidelined them. You grounded them. You you uh, put them in storage. You've had a bunch of other airplanes out there that you've had to put in storage. Um, some of them are wide body, some of them are narrow body, some of them are Airbuses, some of them are Boeing, some of them are seven thirty sevens. How big a deal is it to you right now that you have to that you have to go out and put into service a bunch of Maxes? Um, 
you're already running a reduced schedule. Probably, I, I was trying to find some recent data, probably 50% of what you were running this time last year on a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, why the big rush well, to get your maxes back in service when um, maybe um, there's you know there's no demand. Maybe the fuel savings, and which is really about the only reason I can think of, to to get a max back in service as opposed to a, another later model seven thirty seven. Uh, if if the fuel savings is that big a deal, um, fine, go right ahead. It makes perfect sense. But you've got training costs, you've got uh, transition costs, um, you've got all the all the uh, the cost necessary to to go through and run the checklist that Boeing's published to to uh, Boeing and the FAA, I should say, have have uh, approved to get these airplanes back in service. Why do you need to do that right now? What's the yep. demand? If you're already meeting all your demand with your existing in service fleet, why do you need to go put the maxes in service? I don't uh, understand no, I, that part. Well, I, I mean, I think you make a very good point, which is that um, maybe they aren't going to bring them back. You know, uh, maybe no, there's going to be no rush to, you know, this this article that we were referring to about how Boeing is going to go about prepping and, and delivering all these ready, you know, new aircraft. It, it's really just a plan. We don't know for a fact that they're going to do that. All right. Um, I don't think we even know that they've started yet. Um, and so you're right. I mean, there, this is not a good time for a lot of different reasons for there suddenly to be a glut of new airplanes available on the market. And, uh, um, yeah, maybe they won't well, get revived yet. Maybe they won't all get woken up and brought back yeah. online. Yeah. Well, look at the other side of the coin here. All those airplanes that uh, the newly manufactured that and the others were ordered slash bought for a reason back when they did it, uh, a lot of those reasons still exist. For example, they might want to put their max, uh, an airline might want to put its max jets in, in place of a 700 or an 800 based on seating capacity and reduced fuel consumption that the maxes offer. So getting them in the pipeline, there's also contractual obligations that will start to kick back in. Uh, Progress payments, Boeing depends on the deliveries for cash flow uh they're going to want to get them delivered and out the door as quickly as possible because they've taken it on the chin just like the airlines so uh i don't think that there's going to be a lot of time wasted agonizing over how the public's going to react and for the record these airplanes were already known as the 737 max 8 and max 9 yeah when the accidents happened that's true and they they just got shorthanded to uh, 737 max there were actually two versions that were grounded right the eight and the nine right uh so uh there's there's reasons why airlines bought these things and uh, some of those reasons are still going to be in effect yeah no, okay. Make a good point. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about the the model designations on, on some of these airplanes, though. Um, in that, uh, you know, there is such a thing as uh, uh, the Boeing 737-800, as we talked a moment ago. Um, I, there's a 900. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I'm looking for a reference here while while I'm talking, but uh, um, I'm not sure that. Um, um, the 737 Max 8 and Max 9 are the same airplanes. 
Okay. Well, they're not. The maxes yeah, are yeah. different than that's, the eight hundred and nine hundred. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's that's yeah. kind of my point. Um, yeah. If if they start mixing up the um, the designations, uh, it's, it's going to be confusing and not necessarily a service to the traveling public uh, to yeah. do that. Um, well, I got you though. I did find the data I was looking for, and uh, this comes from FlightAware. They they publish. Uh, weekly or, or uh, similarly regularly regular um updates on on traffic business aviation commercial aviation worldwide united states the whole thing um the quick stats for uh week of november 10 show year over year change from 2020 to 2019 as a 46.57% drop in activity us commercial airline traffic and similar numbers for commercial airline traffic worldwide. Um, where's the demand for all these yeah, no, jets right. to be coming into the market? And I'll shut up on that point. Yeah. By the way, it's interesting. I'm listening to you say those numbers. It's interesting to realize that those dr- dramatic, drastic-sounding numbers are actually the description of a recovery. Um, it's you know, it's like compared to what it was back in March and April. May, April well, that's May. that's a good, very good point. And yeah. and. Uh, if you start going back and looking at um, um, March, April, May era d- um, data, it was like 20, 25% of exactly. year oh, over yeah. year numbers. It was, it was horrendous. Um, but these numbers aren't going to be bouncing back, uh, A, anytime soon. No. B, uh, perhaps at all for the next you know several years. A lot of companies and a lot of people have figured out they don't have to travel nearly as much, and they can yeah, still that's another do. another factor bu- as well. They can yeah, still right. do business, um, especially the middle management types. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. But for better or worse, the uh, 737, what used to be called the 730 Max, 737 Max, and may be called that still, um, has been approved for a return. And uh, it's been quite an adventure. It's going to be interesting to read the book or watch the documentary and uh, and uh, and learn the details of how this all played out. Anyways. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and the, yeah. Um, the defecation will hit the oscillator when one of these goes down for unrelated reasons. Oh well, that's true. That'll be a story, but well, well, let's not let's not even fantasize I'm about just, that. I'm happening. just saying, you know, there's yeah, know. worldwide, I, you know, the chances are yada yada yada. Um, just saying. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, David, how you doing? What's going on with you? So it's uh, it's winter in Wichita, right? Did we say that? Yeah, we. I can't <laughs> well, remember. Yeah. not not officially until December twenty one, of course. But but it was seventy yeah, degrees, David. All Don't the leaves me. are off. All the leaves are off the trees. The wind's been blowing like a bat out of hell for the last three days. We had overnight gusts here in the forties, uh, which has basically cleared most of my yard of leaves and. And bless them on my neighbors to the north. Uh, he had 70-odd, upper 70s yesterday here, uh, which made it hard to do what I should be doing. What I'm trying to do is, is keeping my nose to the grindstone and getting some writing done that is past due. So I got some stuff done yesterday. Uh, I'm going to finish another one today, hopefully a third one tomorrow, uh, so I can go into the weekend with... It, nothing on the uh, nothing on the work list that it has to be. Uh, had a little upgrade done to the bimmer this week that had been waiting on a part for six months, uh, and and loving that. It's a simple 
door handle pull uh, that somebody had tried to clean with a solvent and it dissolved the rubber and uh, made it gooey and sticky so we got a new one on there uh sunshine oh there's about three dozen canada geese just launched simultaneously from the meadow next to my house now those guys are great at formation takeoffs i gotta tell you you don't get me started on and my and my office has a a straight a stellar view of the park uh just trying to keep the rock going uphill uh and i've been uh dragging my cameras out a little bit more lately uh because it occurred to me that there's a whole lot about these Sonys that I have not yet explored. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get out and start using them, uh, then I'll be behind when the inevitable happens and we're all allowed to go back to events that are allowed to happen. Yeah. So so you're you're saying, though, that up until this point, except for, you know, last couple of days, maybe, that all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray. No, the sky is bright, bloody blue. <laughs> I don't think he got it, Dave. Jim. He, 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 I got he, it, though. Oh, I, hey, I, I recognize the mamas and the papas on the first we bird. There we go. Okay. All right. Sounds good. And um, walked into a ch- church on a cloudy day. So, uh, David, some uh, some kind of sad news from Deland, Florida, um, this past week, huh? What uh, this is a I, 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 you, of the three of us, you are the one I think closest to uh, to their activity. What's going on down there? Well, most of you probably it, have heard Florida. about the yeah, most right. of you probably heard about the uh, Deland Aviation Showcase, and it's a really great little sport aviation event in Deland, Florida. Uh, our old friend from Sebring, uh, Jana Phillip, she uh, spark plugged this, got the community behind it. They built a big infrastructure for the show. They had already moved the schedule for this year's show once from this month to early next year. Now, circumstances in, uh, in COVID land being what they are, uh, they're boosted all the way back to, to uh, uh, November of 2021. Yeah. So they we're made, not going to see another DeLand showcase this year. Yeah. They uh, made a valiant attempt. Yeah. A valiant attempt to uh, manage to do uh, an, an edition of that show this year. But uh, it was, yeah. Uh, it's Florida, not, it, That's Florida, right? <laughs> that's just can mean anything you want it to mean, right? It's Florida, uh, man. I'm telling you. It's really funny when they moved the Deland um, dates from November to January. Um, in my mind, it also moved in terms of location. Ever since uh, all along, as I've been thinking about this January version of the Deland showcase, I've been picturing it in my mind being held in Sebring. And I was just thinking. And when I heard the other day that that they they finally had to give up the ghost and and cancel the the January version, I was thinking, oh, I guess that means it gets to go back to Deland now. Wait a minute, no, 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 that's not the way it worked. It was always going to be in Deland because they're building quite a nice facility there. They uh, um, and and, uh, you know, they tried, but like every other event in the world, um, they were just not able to do a 2020 version of it. So, uh, so 
Yeah, too bad. And and it's a pity because uh, they've they've really built uh, a, a very nice infrastructure for sport aviation flyers uh, down there. Uh, I attended the first show. I unfortunately haven't been back, but the first show, uh, for a first show, uh, was really stellar. They had a great crowd. They had a good turnout, uh, and it's just gotten better since then. But you know we're all uh, we're we're all uh, slaves to uh covid land and a pandemic and this is one of many uh i'll be honest uh, i'm kind of holding my breath for the 2021 schedule uh because i fear that in some cases the 2021 version of those shows is going to go the same way as the 2020 version not happening because of the uh, severity of uh, infection rates in some of the locales and i'm looking at you florida yeah. yeah, well, it, yeah. I mean, I, I think the first half of the year is very problematic, no question about it. Um, I, and and I have friends who say that the second half of the year is problematic too. Maybe you're one of them, but I, I'm 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 maybe recklessly optimistic about the second half of the year. We'll see how it goes. I, um, but. Uh, yeah. So, well, um, best of luck to our friends there at the Deland Showcase, and uh, 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 you know, we wish them well. And they'll be back eventually. Everybody will be back eventually. I think most everybody will be back eventually. Um, David, what's this story? We got another hundred year old. This is the you know, twenty twenty is the year of hundred year olds, or so. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. For some reason, well, we got a gentleman here, hundred uh, year old Harry Moyer, who. Uh, Oh, this a, is a Jeb story, too. I'm sorry, David. I don't know why I assigned it to you. But go ahead. Keep going, Jeb, David. Uh, I was going to say let Jeb do it. Well, um, you all did the lead-in. Uh, Harry Moyer, um, and this is a, an article on uh, military.com, which is uh, kind of a commercial Stars and Stripes publication. Um, 100-year-old Harry Moyer uh, fought in, in World War II. He was a flying tiger. Uh, he served in uh, North Africa, Sicily, Italy. Uh, as well as in China, um, flying, of course, the P-40 and, and I'm sure some other airplanes. Uh, the guy is still flying. He's flying his own Mooney. Yeah, good and, for him. And, yeah. and given, given rides and, and uh, uh, this kind of thing. And, and uh, apparently, uh, and I'm not sure about this, uh, according to military.com, um, he, he just completed enough flights or, or whatever the process was to potentially become the oldest licensed individual to complete a solo flight in the world. Not around the world, but in the around the world. world. No, no but, not not around the world, but but, but so really, period. So the, old, the old the oldest licensed individual to complete a solo flight. Period. Okay. Which is I, I, not not an unenviable achievement. Now, you. this is someone. This is someone that that has definitely paid attention to Dave Higdon. <laughs> yeah, right. Not because Dave Higdon is old, but because Dave Higdon has a thing he likes to say. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Time spent flying. Um, I'm curious. I was wondering if there was any hint in this article about whether this gentleman flies under a traditional medical or whether he flies under. Um, basic med um and there's no real hint to it here. i'm not no sure why real, that there's no i'm not sure why hint. that matters to me but i'm just kind of curious yeah. um, um um at this well, point I, at this point i'd kind of be like 
<laughs> who cares? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Medical, uh, oh, yeah. medical for a hundred-year-old guy who's a, I know, who's a huh? flying tiger. Yeah. Well, that's great. Congratulations. I'm sorry, Harry Moyer. Huh? Yeah. Very, very cool. And uh, con- con- congratulations. Yeah. That's. What part of the country? I'm just jumping around here. Where is he from? He's a California. Cal- California. California. Very, very cool. Neat. Yeah. Neat. Uh, so, Jeb, what are you up to? What's going um, on over there? Same old, same old. Uh, you, hur- kind of you had a hurricane lately? You had a hurricane last oh, episode. Oh, man. I just, you know, it's, 2020 has just been a sucky year. Oh, that's what it is. It's 2020. Uh, it's 2020. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... it's uh, well, we had, uh, I forget what the th- tropical storm was uh, a month or so ago. Right, it came through. And, and Edda, Edda, you had Edda. Well, no, no, that was last week, man. I'm talking yeah, about, right. I'm talking about a month ago. I forget, yeah. you know. Yeah, I know, right? Um, That's, uh, yeah, because one um, after another after yeah. another. Yeah. Um, yeah, Edda came through last week, and and uh, it rained. For like 36 hours, like four inches, six inches of rain here alone, and dumped a bunch of rain elsewhere. I still have standing water in the yard after that. There's still some places I can't get to with the lawnmower because they're too soft. And uh, we've got some nice weather here, though. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. your basic uh, 75, 80 low humidity and, and breezy and cool enough and, and nice so you can just open the windows and, and turn off the air conditioning. So, you know, it's, it's getting to be, quote, winter, unquote, in Florida. And uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Cool. Um, uh, yeah. Other than that, been tinkering, you know, with various toys. Had to do some. Had to wait on some parts to fix a lawnmower, and that's always frustrating. Um, um, got a got a motorcycle running. I'm trying to get rid of. Actually, trying to trade it for to somebody. But an old 1972 uh, Boltaco Alpina oh. 250. If, yeah. if any, wow. anybody knows what those are. Um, it's all back together. Had to put some new parts on it, mainly associated with the fuel system. But uh, um, it's it's sitting in the hangar ready to go. All I got to do is put fuel in it and check it for leaks and, and give it a couple of kicks. Cool. So, well, that's fabulous. Yeah. 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 Sounds like you're having some fun there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, can uh, so I, you you guys are used to it raining a fair amount. Uh, it's a pretty oh, wet man. environment certain p- times of year down there. Can can your can the can the infrastructure handle four inches of rain in like I mean how bad does that get? You said standing water, but well, um, I have standing water in some of the low spots. Obviously, they're in the low spots. Uh, and I, you know, got a lot of low spots right here. There's, you know, some hammocks. I got a lot of yard. There's some some hammocks, uh, as as I call them, uh, which are just kind of low spots with some trees around them and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the the pond slash lake um, filled up. Um, yeah. thanks to Ada, Ada, um, and it's, it's, you know, substantially drained itself down since then. It's just a matter of, of, uh, neighborhood drainage, right. um, and, uh, not, not, uh, adequate, but, uh, you know, certainly all back to normal, no damage, never is any. It's just frustrating to see all this water. Um, and, um, you know, another week or so we'll, we'll be, um, you know, for all I know, we'll be into the fully into the dry season, and they'll be having you know uh, um, bans on recreational burning or something. You know, who knows? Uh, things can change very quickly. 
yeah. Florida. So no, I I agree. I'm, when I'm I'm laughing at the phrase recreational burning. I, that's uh... <laughs> well, you know, if if nothing else, we we no, got I, to have we we yeah. have our pyromaniacs. Okay, yeah, I know, I know, I know. All right. Uh, well, cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's gearing up for the January issue of Aviation Safety, and um, trying not to take on any other work right now. Actually, um, uh, okay. I'm, uh, I'm kind of happy just doing what I'm just just doing yeah. the magazine for right now. Just okay because I'd like to do some other things while I have the time. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, speaking of recreational burning, um, hot spots here. So, um, hot I, spots. I, I guess I didn't know. So I'm looking at an article from GA News, um, November 15. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. it's a, well, they're characterizing it as a question from the cockpit. When you're hot, you're hot. I guess this is a column. Um, and, uh, they're referencing, um, something called hot spots, which I hadn't realized was an actual charted thing. So apparently the, uh, the uh, um, the airport diagrams published by the FAA have, for some not time now, um, been designating hotspots, which are places on the field that are known to be. Now I'm, now I'm. You tell me if I'm describing this correctly. Are are known to be kind of traffic bottlenecks, um, places where, uh, you know, uh, tangling with another aircraft is more likely than average. Um, And uh, the the example they give here is, uh, this is a chart from San Antonio, Texas, um, where there's a hotspot, two hotspots very close together here um, at a, uh, at the intersection of two runways. And uh, have these been around for a while, this this whole hotspot designation on the chart? Yeah, they've been around. It's maybe kind ten of, years. Kind of recent. Yeah. I mean, if you count yeah. now, two, if you count two thousand one as recent, yeah. okay. Because <laughs> Jeb, Jeb said they've been around, and Dave said they're recent. I, you I both said they've been around like, about ten years. I might have gotten blocked, but yeah. the aughts, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and uh, uh, and and um, I'm not sure that. Uh, I, there is certainly a criteria uh, involved in, in establishing a hotspot. Um, these are, are um, generally speaking, you know, here at Sarasota we have one, and one of the criteria is that two airplanes collided there several years ago. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, it's certainly something to be aware of. Um, anybody with a uh, uh, electronic with an electronic flight bag app. Uh, or or similar is going to see um, is going to should have the option anyway of pulling up an airport diagram. Yeah, uh, and on the published FAA airport diagrams, you may see in uh, kind of a dark brown or a medium brown um, um, color, you'll see some graphics that designate the hotspots. They're actually labeled. Uh, as you know, if there's more than one hotspot on the on the airport, um, there'll be a you know hotspot one, hotspot two, hotspot in, um, and uh, you know s- some of these airports uh, might have a long runway with a lot of uh, intersections, a lot of taxiways and whatnot. Um, maybe they're high speed taxiways coming off the runway, and each of these little intersections along the runway, along the taxiway, can be uh, designated as hotspots. It kind of hmm. depends on on how anal some of your airport managers are. So, um, 
you can certainly see where on these charts, see where you need to pay extra attention. Um, I would suggest that you need to pay extra attention anyway, uh, even if there aren't uh, hotspots designated for the airport you're operating at. And, uh, you know, just as we talked about um, with that video a couple of uh, three episodes ago where the, the 172 touches down and then immediately goes around as another 172 taxis across the runway in front of him, um, any such intersection, any such uh, movement of aircraft can turn into a hotspot immediately. So... Some of this is, is, is well and good, and some of it needs to uh, – we need to understand what a hotspot is when it's been designated and published. But I would suggest that all these uh, uh, areas are hotspots. Right. Now, these de- these designated charted hotspots, are they just advisory, or are there different regulations when you're passing? No, they're, they're mainly advisory. There's, there's no regulation except, you know, uh, hey, guys, let's pay attention out there. And, and this is one of the reasons why we need to pay more attention. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and and the charts is the the airport diagram is the way to find out where they are on your airport. Yeah, there's. I there guess probably are, does the green book even still exist anymore? It, it's been renamed. It's, it's now called the chart supplement. Yes. It okay. used to be the airport f- facility directory. It's now called the chart supplement. Has been for a couple of years. We need to talk about BFR for you, young man. But anyway, um, <laughs> okay. Uh, yes. and, I'm, and I'm happy to help. Um, but anyway, um, they, these are published not only graphically. Um, as in the airport diagrams, which are in the chart supplements, but also in the airport description in the chart supplement and, uh, and in other assorted places, um, um, not only published by the FAA, but again, some of the, uh, the people who have jumped into this business over the years, Jefferson, uh, Garmin, Flight, et cetera, uh, will, will publish this information uh, as, part, as part of the textual description of the airport. Yeah. Okay. Um, interesting stuff. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, while you're talking, I'm I'm surfing the net, looking at different airport diagrams here. There's about mm-hmm. half a dozen of them at Boston, um, which is oh, yeah. not not surprising because it's a big airport. Um, on the other hand, there's no indication of any at Nashua or or uh, or Sanford, Maine, which yeah. also yeah, does make it makes sense. You know, one one rule of thumb: if you've got a single runway airport with uh, without a whole bunch of uh, of uh, taxiway intersections, you might not have any hotspots at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if, on the other hand, if you've got intersecting runways, intersecting taxiways, uh, et cetera, uh, you might have uh, multiple hotspots on that airport. Yeah. Right. I, I am a little surprised that – so all of the uh, airport diagrams that I've looked at here, um, and you alluded to this, I think, Jeb, that um, it's a, they're in a different color. Um, I, I've always thought of these airport diagrams as being black, being monochromatic printing, and for there to be any color on them at all is kind of a surprise to me. I, uh, is the the paper version that you get in those, those uh, end-bound books, are those color printing, or you think the hot spots are they, in black and white there? Uh, they're, they're in color. Um, they are? Okay. Yeah. The, the, the printing has changed on some of these things over the years. Um, the PDFs that we all see in our, in our uh, electronic flight bag have basically are basically being reproduced on paper 
with with the colors and um, um, right. this kind of thing. It's not all that much more expensive these days to print in color as it is in black and white. Some would say it's more expensive to play, uh, to print in black and white, depending on how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the flip side uh, of that, regardless, yeah. the flip side of all that <clears throat> is there are so few people using paper charts anymore that it doesn't right. really matter. Yeah. In my defense, that's why I was uncertain that the Green Book existed anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because I, I believe I get perfectly good, safe, and legal briefings, but I've just not done it from a paper, a paper resource in quite some time. Well, and for for newbies coming into general aviation, be aware if some old grizzled pilot <laughs> says, "Oh, you ought to meet us at the hot spot tonight." <laughs> well, it's, that's like being sent out for a a bucket of uh, prop wash or uh, <laughs> a, 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 a an exhaust bearing or yeah, yeah, need, some of the other crazy stuff. Needing to get your framas adjusted. Yeah. <laughs> which you can only do at the hotspot. Um, right. Yeah, okay. Um finally, uh what the story about the uh 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 the uh big airplane, what is it? An AN24 a uh, um that uh went off the runway and I'm trying to figure out So it's an interesting story, I guess. Uh, you know what I'm talking about here? Does either of you know what I'm talking about? It's the next thing on the list here. Uh, uh, a volt. This so I'm reading from a tweet that came from Flight Radar 24, which I believe is the Twitter account of a publication. Um, Flight Radar say, 24 is an uh, is an ADSB aircraft spotting site. Got it. Okay, thank you. Uh, Volga Nepper. Um, airlines AN-124 aircraft suffered an, a runway excursion after an emergency return to Novosibirsk. They blew it. They blew the number two engine. Novosibirsk. Al- yeah, almost off the airplane. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, maybe probably, that's why. I, yeah, right. Probably they, had they, a whole boatload of other problems in the bargain. And um, um, yeah, it's getting back on the ground was an achievement and gosh darn they ran about 100 feet off the end of the runway i call yeah. that a i call that a good day yeah no they, they it seemed to have done a good job because it does look pretty dramatic maybe that's why i called it i i put this on the list because of the picture here that's part of the tweet um which shows or seems to show a pretty dramatic uncontained um turbine failure um and uh, where it not only blew off the cowling of the of the engine, but um, clearly uh, uh, sliced away at the wing leading edges and the fuselage, um, it's uh, it's kind of dramatic. And, and Antonov and one twenty four, so. Those no. are big. Those are big mothers. Yeah, they are. They are. There, uh, there's a bigger one, the two twenty four. It has six engines. There's only two of those in service, I think. Yeah, yeah. One, one or two. It's, it's 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 like that. It's it's an it's a, an occasion when a one. Uh, I'm sorry, a two twenty four comes and goes. Yeah. So, um, but man, hats off to the guy that handled this one. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, uncontained engine failure during takeoff roll. 
Oh boy! It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it it doesn't matter if the airplane can fly again. It only matters if you can fly again. <laughs> okay, hey, you should have saved that. Would have been a good ending, Dave. Jeff. I'll, yeah. I'll 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 regurgitate it later. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see. Um, anyways. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we're done here. What time is it? Oh my goodness. See, we, we, there was like hardly anything on the list. Once again, we still go um, over an hour. But uh, um, that's because it's so much fun talking with you guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, and. Uh, uh, I want to thank you for uh, spending a little bit of your Thursday morning with me here. Uh, my two good friends here, uh, Jeb Burnside is a, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and as a regular contributor to other public aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, his magazine is also on Twitter. It's called AvSafetyMag. Um, you can also find his work at aea.net, um, avweb.com, and on Twitter, he personally is Burnside J. And Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at abbuyer.com, aea.net, and on Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places using the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter.com, Jack Hodgson, YouTube, Jack Hodgson, Patreon, Jack Hodgson. Um, still Instagram, although I'm starting to come to my senses on that one. Um, and uh, <laughs> you, you can find my ebooks, ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the book section. You can sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Well, as we've amply illustrated in this episode of Uncontrolled Aerospace, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. I mean, when you got 100-year-old guys out there still flying, what's holding you back? <laughs> and that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember, you fly the airplane with your head, not with your hands and feet. <laughs> At uncontrolled airspace in the virtual hangar, the pilots were chatting, but then heard a bang or a noise of some kind from behind the tool shelf. Twas a man dressed in red, a quite jolly old elf. He opened his pack and he flashed them a look. And he rummaged around, and he pulled out a book. The pilots all hoped there was something for them. They begged, Santa, look in your pack once again. Did you bring me a gadget? An Avgas container? He said, no, you've been bad. I've brought just the disclaimer. But Santa Claus smiled as he read to them there his message of wisdom and safety and care. The UCAP members, those wise old flyers, are speaking their very own thoughts and desires. The folks whom they work with might not feel the same, and that is all right. No one is to blame. The stories they tell and advice, while terrific, you take them as general and never specific. When you're in your plane and pilot in command, keep all of your training right there close at hand. Assess your own situation that day and fly your own airplane just like my sleigh. And they heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, But you knew that already, so have a good flight. Uh, all right. Um, so. Here's what I discovered this week. Here's what I learned. So there's an acronym that the kids use these days. What is it? T. T. 
T-I-L? Has that you started tweeting? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? No. What? Yeah. yeah you, you, start a, you start a tweet or a, or a social media Today post. Today in with, life? No, no. It's This I Learned, I think oh, is what okay. it is. Okay. I, I think that's the correct acronym. Oh. Um, uh, the kids will... Uh, will I don't know. Do you think any kids listen to this podcast? Uh, Only anyways. from the back seat of their parents' car. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, this I learned though. T I L. Um, so, the three of us are chatting throughout the week as we are are want to do, and and David just kind of casually trots out, um, "Yeah, back when I was traveling with the band." Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think Jeb and I both kind of woke up and said, "Wait a minute, you were in a band, David? You so you you? I mean, I guess." To a certain extent, the, uh, those of us of a, this particular generation all thought we were in a band at some point um, in our 20s and teens. Um, but it sounds like you guys actually played, like did gigs and the whole thing, David. Is this true? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for, for a couple of years. Uh, 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 yeah. Um, we, had, we had a good time. We made a few bucks. Uh, I, I, I have a question when you're ready. Okay, fire away. Yeah, go ahead. What's the question? What was the name of the band? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, what, what was the name of the band? David? David? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a good name. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so what, what instrument did you play? Oh, I was the drummer. You were a drum. See, that, that, that I, part. I did, not, I did not know that you had been a drummer in a rock and roll band. I just, I, that's just something that, as long as I've known you, David, that never came up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And well, I, I, yeah. just, I started playing drums in the uh, junior high school uh, orchestra. And, uh, and and I liked it. I played the timpani. I played other uh, drums, uh, and uh, the timpani being the big kettle drums with a foot pedal that lets you adjust the uh, tone on the fly. Mm, okay. And uh, a couple of friends of mine were uh, starting up a band. I wanted to uh, get in a band, get a kit, uh, save my pennies, and uh, bought a a full kit of ludwig drums with zildjian cymbals and uh well that's some serious bass drum yeah bass drum snare drum uh two tom toms uh three cymbals uh i think in 1965 it cost about 700 bucks whoa that's a lot of money for yeah uh, yeah it took me a while to get to that and uh when my buddies started looking for a drummer to round out there uh when they after they'd practiced enough to feel comfortable getting up and playing in front of people they uh invited me to join and for about six months i had the drums set up in the uh forward bedroom of the house that we lived in at the time and i would practice to music on the uh, stereo or on the radio mm-hmm. uh, and, and from what i understand uh i had fans as far as three blocks away <laughs> so, so to speak yeah so to speak um well that's okay see i uh, live and learn huh live and learn I, well we we played some private parties from time to time uh our busy season was spring and summer when the boat marinas were all open and uh there were a couple of marinas that decided 
that having a, a, a bunch of high school kids in a rock and roll band playing just off the uh, docks uh, was a good way to uh, get people to come in and buy more than gas. So yeah, we uh, we'd play uh, Friday and Saturday nights, holidays. Uh, if I remember right, we netted. Twenty five bucks a head for the five of us for the oh, okay, per per band member. Okay, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, practice twice a week in between. And uh, uh, I have to ask a couple of my buddies when I get back to Indiana this Christmas uh, if they remember what the name of our band well, now, was. What about what, what style of music are we talking here? What I mean is, there, was there any particular band or or type of band that you were emulating? Uh, we were emulating everybody that was playing on the radio. Okay, we tried to uh, we tried to incorporate all the stuff that was current, uh, and people were uh, expecting to hear it at the parties. Uh, so that's what we practiced on. Was no particular band, but you know, rock contemporary rock and roll for the middle to late sixties. And uh, and we uh, we would listen to a cut and then play it at our uh, at our rehearsals and uh, and then like I said I buttoned up in the uh, forward bedroom of the house on Indiana Avenue and uh, and and try to imitate the drummers on the rock and roll music that I was hearing on the radio. And that's how I learned to do it. Uh, kind of cool. Was, it was a lot of fun. So, Jeb, what is it that I don't know about you that I've, I've been missing all these years? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it certainly has nothing to do with being a musician. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've been trying to know quite – I mean, honestly, I, I was trying to think of something I could tell you about me. I, I, it, it, the problem is that we don't think these things about ourselves are significant, um, and then others discover them by accident and, and, and are astounded. I don't uh, remember who I was with. Um, it's been a couple of three years. It wasn't either of you. I'm driving down the road. And I see a tractor um, with a sickle bar, what I call a sickle bar mower attached to it. And whoever I was with, I commented, well, there's someone out to go cut some hay. And the person said, what are you talking about, A? B, how do you know that? I said, well, that particular mower is is not a rotary mower. It's it's a what I call again a sickle bar mower. It has a it has a reciprocating set of blades inside a framework that moves back and forth, and it's when it's in use, it's it's folded flat parallel with the ground, and the tractor rolls along, and it sticks out one side of the tractor, and it cuts tall grass to make hay. That way, okay. it's not it's not in a rotary mower where it gets all bruised and torn up and, and stuff like that. With the with the sickle bar mower, it gets cut and it just falls down flat uh-huh. behind the mower as the tractor moves along. And this person's like, how in the world do you even know something like that? And I said, well, I used to bail hay. My, my neighbors in Illinois when I was growing up had one of these, had a field that they grew hay for their horses. And when the when the grass was you know high enough to cut and make hay um i would go out there and help them they they'd had a baler and and all this kind of stuff and we'd um 
I'd watch the whole process, and once the bales were made, falling out behind the baler, we'd get the bales and we'd throw them on the back of the truck and move on to the next one, and, and it was a good way to spend the afternoon. And, and people were just like, what in the world are you talking about? So, uh, that, yeah, okay, no, that, that yeah. pretty much qualifies, Jeb. That's, uh, so I'm now I've, I've got Rockstar Dave and Farm Boy Jeb. Farm Boy Jeb, yes. Yes.